Hi everyone, welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Dr. Fern Edwards, cultural anthropologist and activist scholar. We are pleased to have Fern with us talking about the anthropology of food, a field that has been at the core of her research and professional focus for the last 17 years. How did food become Fern's topic? What were the drivers that moved her anthropological research from food to sustainable city movements to political ecology? Fern describes herself as an active scholar and describes the way she balances the stillness of mind that academic work re- requires and the rush that the applied work often entails. We ask how to be an ethical consumer in a city environment and how does the pandemic influence the sustainable actions and social resilience. Fern shares her experience on working in cross-disciplinary setups and describes what she found to be the best fit for her. At the end, we ask for an advice for those considering a similar path. We hope you enjoy it. Hi friends, we are here together with Fern Edwards, cultural anthropologist. Hi Fern! Hello. <laughs> okay, Fern, I'm really happy to have you with us on the on the podcast today. And um, I want to, you know, kind of like dive into it and ask you to tell me and our listeners um, a little bit about your um, history. And I want to make it a bit more specific because looking into it, your resume, what strikes me is this the amplitude and diversity of, of all of your professional endeavors. And, and this is what I personally find fascinating when I talk to other anthropologists that normally I see more of a prescriptive path. Mm-hmm. Not that that is bad, but what struck me with yours is completely the opposite. So I want to understand, you know, uh, would it be possible to define what it is that you like doing most and how did you approach uh, your own development so far, your own path? Yeah, no, it, it has been um, has been an interesting path. I suppose I, I started back in Australia um, with my degree in anthropology and I became very interested in food movements and different ways people were engaging with food and how that sort of tied into the sustainable cities movement. So how we're using food to relate to each other and to place and and so how food could bring people together in new and different ways and how that could be sort of worked into the city to sort of create sustainable outcomes. So I sort of – I. I sort of started looking into that for my, ooh, I think it was my honours degree, and then, but then my master's degree got a little bit more interesting again because that's when I did some independent first-hand research, and I went out and I discovered dumpster divers. So this was back in the very early 2000s, um, before they'd sort of become well-known in society. And I was actually working in a call centre at the time and my associates were actually dumpster divers. So we were sort of people doing social research um, on the phones at night, um, sort of the hidden away people. And we sort of – I was really interesting to sort of start listening to, to some – some of them had this incredible backstory about what what politics they're involved in and um, and how they were sort of wanting to make – to reduce problems in the world by participating – by, you know, by eating food that would normally go to waste. So I sort of started hanging out with those subcultures 
and um, started doing some research in that area. And then that sort of went into a whole new areas again because I got involved in alternative food economies and I started looking at how people were getting involved with food in different ways in different countries. Continue that. Um, so then I went to Sydney. So that was originally in Melbourne and then I moved yeah. up to Sydney and I looked at alternative food economies there. And so how people were gleaning or oh, was gleaning, growing and gifting food largely outside of the capitalist marketplace. And so how, what were the other alternative ways of getting food and what did that mean for people and, and for society, you know, at large? I then, so I had lots and lots of examples in Sydney. And, but I wanted to compare that to a completely different side of the world again. And so I went to Venezuela, of all places, and I looked at alternative food economies in a socialist context. And so a di- very different government. Um, and wanting, and then they were sort of talking a lot about applying sort of these, these principles for food sovereignty supported by the government. Um, so it was all about collective, doing things collectively. It was about, you know, sort of, so it wasn't individualized um, acts of environmentalism. It was working together in groups to see what you could do. And also it was looking at how the government could work with people on the ground. So there's often a, a division between grassroots and government. Um, oh, and so many things. It just, it was just such a rich area. So that was, so I spent quite a lot of time in Venezuela. I was involved in um, co-hosting a group uh, across Venezuela to look at the different strategies in the Venezuelan food sovereignty movement. And then I went back and did my PhD there as well. And I did um, field work in three different locations. So I sort of went out to Ciudad Bolivar in the south. Um, I went over to Merida and then it was, and I was based in Caracas. There's <laughs> just so yeah. many and to talk about. Yeah. Would you would you see like kind of like looking back to your past, like do you see kind of like a red line through it, like that could could define your 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 interest? What would that be for you? I think it's about for me. I'm very interested in the the politics of how food can be used to create more sustainable places and places that can be better for people as well. Mm. Um, and that's continued. So through the food waste research, I've, I've continued and looked at food sharing practices in cities, again, back in Australia, that working with Trinity College in Dublin and then to Spain and Barcelona. Um, and I've become really interested in urban political ecology too, which is a great way of sort of summing this up and sort of looking at the politics of mm. food movements, the politics of food sharing and the politics of living well together. Um, my more recent research now is what's sort of brought me to Norway is looking at, I suppose, the politics of urban natures. And so looking at how food is a form of nature in cities, um, how are we interacting with that nature? How can we live better with nature in cities? And what are the political issues around that? So why, you know, how can we make things better? But what are the politics that we have to look at and engage with in order mm. to address those issues? Yeah. Yeah. And, and from what kind of position do you, um, approach these topics? Like, is it, is it from an academic uh, place of research? Is it from like, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So I, I, I am an academic. Um, I suppose I'd like to call myself an activist scholar a little bit. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I want to say that. I don't know, but I do come from academia as my base. I really believe in, 
in doing the research, doing the groundwork. But when I say I'm an academic, I, I, I kind of want to make clear that as an anthropologist, it's all about living with people, trying to understand what's going on. So putting yourself in those places in order to understand it. it's about experiential learning. Um, so it's not about that ivory ta- t- you know, tower approach. It's like I really want to be out there in the field mm-hmm. and understand what's going on so I can get beyond the assumptions and actually listen to people and, and see, you know, and yeah. sense what's happening. So yeah. that's important for me. And you mentioned, I really love when you said uh, the active scholar um, element of it, because it also implies a certain type of effect, mm. a, 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 certain, a certain type of uh, movement uh, to uh, to change, um, um, rather than just uh, observing, uh, making sense, and um, um, engaging in that way. So I wonder if you can if you can speak a little bit to that. Well, I think you have to if, if you're producing. Outcome. Mm. You're producing data. You're representing people in certain ways. There's an ethics of representation that has to be considered. But also by by putting that information out in the world, you are you're sculpting the world. You're you're causing something to change just by having that information made available. So there's a there's a responsibility there as well. How would you um, how do you say explain your activism? Mm. Uh, what what does it consist of? I suppose it's about trying to, well, I mean, okay, good quality research for a start. So you, you know that you're doing research that's balanced, that considers lots of different aspects. But it's about, oh, it's about doing it for the right reasons. And so you're trying to make it a better world through that research, I suppose, and trying to choose the right topics that can influence people in the right ways. Um, and you can apply that research. So, so going to the topic of applied anthropology, I suppose I've been more and more moving into that space. Um, I'm, I was, I ran a workshop at the Why the World Needs Anthropologists, um, I think in Stockholm. I think it was last year or the year before now. I can't quite remember. Oh, no, it was Oslo. Sorry. Yeah. And um, so yeah. it's about applying research in ways that mm-hmm. we can understand it and then actually try and do actions locally that can actually go somewhere. So I tried, I'm, I'm trying to understand how we can create better societies through wealth without knowledge and getting that mm-hmm. out to people in different, in more progressive ways, um, in the sense that I'm trying, rather than just having publications, I'm really interested in exploring new methodologies um, and new forms of outcomes. So, for example, in terms of applied anthropology, uh, in my recent job, I was a work package leader in the governance of um, to establish an edible cities network in an international project, and that worked over about 12 countries. Um, and so there I was trying to apply my skills and my knowledge and background to people wanting to uptake food activities so they could actually make more just and sustainable changes in their local cities. So that was sort of an example of applying that knowledge mm. that came from, a, you know, a, long, a lot of experience in terms of all across Australia and Venezuela and Ireland uh, to apply to another 12 countries on again. So I suppose that's a way of sort of trying to do something with that so it doesn't just stay as a book on a shelf. Yeah, that's wonderful. I wonder, because the, the, the topic that you're working on, it's just so fascinating, the, the politics of food. And 
I wonder what what would be a definition for you for an ethical um, um, consumption of food, or a person or a person that is ethical in the way they approach food consumption, and and how how would how would it be possible to to live that uh, in a city environment? Good question, and <laughs> not such an easy one to answer, really. I mean, because you can do lots of individual actions in order to 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 make ethical or sustainable food choices. I suppose what I'm particularly interested in, though, is how people are starting to work together to create larger changes and to make those changes go in new directions. And so when I was doing work on food sharing, um, that was really, really beautiful. Some of the quite simple approaches in terms of just having a shared meal together was really powerful and it had so many positive um, impacts on people's lives. You know, so one of the projects I was working in was uh, in Melbourne, Australia, and it's called Open Table. I've just written a paper on this. Uh, on, and, and they sort of, they cook up food that would, that would go to waste um, as a form of a community feast. And then that's open to anyone in the neighbourhood. And it was such a, a simple project. I really didn't, I suppose I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't, I thought, okay, this is just a really nice idea. But when I actually started going there and, and volunteering and hanging out with the people, you know, for months, mm-hmm. I saw so many beautiful interactions and changes and impacts on so many levels that I really, really liked. I found it to be a really powerful project and, and something I thought that also could be replicated in other cities. Mm-hmm. So I suppose one thing I'm really interested in is, how can all these different alternative food models actually be translated into different contexts? And then how can there be a, a solidarity of these movements built up across these cities as well? So I think, I think those changes can be, be small. Like you can, like, so an individual can join some of those groups or they could initiate some of those, those, um, practices. But then they can have big repercussions when those sort of groups are sort of joined together and 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 communicated to learn from from those things yeah you know so for example with the open table it's like I could really see potential you know one of my statements was oh well there should be more third spaces created Mm -hmm. from that there should be more spaces that are non-commodified that are welcoming Mm -hmm. that people can can feel that they're well you know they can just go in there and start cooking and and start sharing these experiences with other people and so I think there should be I love the idea of redesigning cities around these more com- – I suppose it's about the commons. So food is commons, which is another very big topic in, in terms of political anthropology. Yeah, yeah here in, um, in Amsterdam we have this uh, practice, which I think – not sure how, how, how um, similar it is to other parts of Europe, but after the Second World War there were a lot of houses that were not occupied and then people just took them over and made them their own. And, and, and some of them, some of those spaces now have been transformed in kind of like, uh, community kitchens. Yes. Uh, where people come together and they, um, prepare like vegan meals that are locally harvested ingredients. And then you get a, this system of paying based on what you can afford or you're paying very, a very low amount. And, um, yeah. And then you can also volunteer to cook or to host or everything is just generated, uh, with a, an integral circularity inside the community. Yeah, so there's a lot of like uh, redistribution of, uh, um, yeah, redistribution of everything to a certain extent that creates some equality. It's really nice. 
It's it's lovely. So the, the example I'm talking about is mm. very similar to that as well, and it's just nice. They're powerful. They're powerful movements to have. And how how have you seen um, the current pandemic um, affect these um, these food systems or sustainability and and social resilience? But also, I would imagine um, a lot of unmasking a lot of inequality around uh, food consumption. Mm. I'm 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 still thinking about that one to be honest. I I'm undecided. I I think it might be because when you look at these food systems, you really want them to be resilient. It's all about resilience. It's about bringing people together. But I don't know if 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 all of them are at the right stage for that to continue during something like the pandemic. And it's it's an interesting one too because COVID has it's put up a lot of barriers for the very things that we're trying to do in those food. It's all about sharing food. It's all about sharing space. It's all about working together. And yet COVID has actually kept us apart. And so it's, it's a really difficult one. It's like, so we can still go outside. So that's a, in most places we can. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing, but we, we have to find new ways of sharing. So I, I suppose it's given us that challenge of, Maybe it's given us an impetus to get to to do these things and to work in these ways and to form these relationships by having all these food practices. But then, how do we adapt them so they can become resilient to overcome these urban type, well, these disasters which are happening often in urban centres? So yeah, I'm, I'm undecided yet, but I think it might be part of the picture as opposed to the whole thing. Yeah, I would. I I can also imagine that. Um, This is one of the sectors, uh, particularly food, uh, food, food uh, distribution and the hospitality sector has been heavily affected by the, um, the pandemic. Um, how do you see that in relationship to, um, I, I'm making actually a poor job of phrasing what I have in my mind, but what I, what I said, I, I would imagine in large, uh, society, large cities and large spaces, We have also kind of moved away from the from the space of of, of producing our own meals yeah. and eating together is more collective and relying more on the hospitality sector as a form of um, um, food production and distribution and that has changed with the pandemic. Yeah. Um, how how do you see that? Do you see that as a kind of a stimuli in kind of coming back to the commons, coming back to uh, a different way of relation to food production and consumption, or not? Yeah, just because one of the things I was looking at, another another piece mm. of research was based in Barcelona and it was looking at um, food sharing platforms. And so mm. people inviting people into their houses and cooking food and, and doing that as part of um, a commercial thing. And that was, in in a sense, a very – it was a very interesting platform with respect to people who are precarious in their work lives and being able to have an additional income. So that was really, really interesting. But with the pandemic, that has probably very likely stopped because we can't go into people's houses and share a meal with mm-hmm. them. So I suppose in terms of going back to what I was saying before, it's um, maybe rather than say that they don't – that these practices don't work, it's more about changing – our focus in those practices to exactly what you're talking about, to production and to other ways. So maintaining those connections, but at a different juncture of the food chain. So, yeah, I suppose going back to, um, you know, community gardens or different types of gardens. I mean, a lot of, I think gardening is such a beautiful way to connect. Um, I found I was living in Barcelona during the start of the pandemic in a 30 square meter tiny little flat and I had a green wall. And for me, 
you know, we couldn't even go outside, not even for exercise at the start of the pandemic. So, but for me to look after that green wall and just keep it alive and make sure it was watered and tended to was a, was a beautiful thing to do, but I had to do that by myself. Um, mm. So maybe this is a, a new way of sort of looking at how to adapt to maintaining those connections and, and how we can keep people working together. Because I think we need to look at how we can adapt things is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> But also I think then we have to look at the wider issues. So there are, there are obviously issues that make it a little bit difficult sometimes to farm food in cities. And so mm. rather than just taking it back to having a community garden, let's look at the other issues too that are going on in that space. So um, what are the politics of actually accessing that land? What is happening around that space? You know, what what, what is making that accessible or not accessible? And so – I don't know. I think there's a lot of things to unpick. Yeah. But I think food is a very good place to hold on to as a, as a good place to come together. Yeah. And then, you know, if, if, the, if the, those, those, you create spaces of access to this different way of engaging, um, with food, uh, then, then also the practice of engaging with food on behalf of the citizens will automatically, I think, change or, how do you see that, um, process? I was, um, I, I want to give an example because yesterday, I discovered Curiosity Streams, which is a kind of a Netflix for documentaries, uh, scientific documentaries. And I watched this documentary that talked about uh, kittens. It, it followed uh, kittens in uh, three different environments. One was in the wild. Uh, another one was in Tokyo, where they are grown up in a in a in a cat cafe. Yeah. And another <laughs> and another one, yeah, and another one was in a in a on a farm in France. So they uh, the documentary followed the kittens from the first week of birth until the first year. And what they were trying to prove is that no matter the environment, like how domesticated uh, the Tokyo cat was, still her natural instincts of how she relates to her environment um, are there. So the moment you, 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 she tries to replicate the, the natural environment that it's in her genet- genes or in her nature, let's say, um, uh, to that environment that is there, although uh, the practice is t- it's, it's eroded if you compare them. So that's just a long example to, to frame my question, which is we are in some way alienated from the way we as people engaged in the past in a different forms of uh, social organization with food. Yeah. What do you think? Like the moment we start transforming our space, our uh, will we naturally come back to a different way of uh, of being with food? Or does that practice in itself needs to be nurtured? I think it needs to be nurtured. I think we have that in us. I think we really appreciate it when when it's there. But we have to, you know, when people get busy, they have all these pressures on their lives, and so I think we need to create. We have to make sure that we create that time and that space to to keep that going because it's something that feels good, you know, and it's a positive thing, especially if you share it with somebody else. But also, I'm just thinking that could also be extended to urban natures. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and how with the beginning of the of, of Corona, all the nature started coming back into the city. It was it was very um, it was very strong in Barcelona because things were just so quiet where normally they'd mm-hmm. be so um, so busy. But it was something that was I think people started seeing that. You know, it was like a across the world there were more and more stories about more and more nature sightings and and trying to recorrect that balance in a sense that the nature it was it was good to see nature in cities and it's a shame that because of light pollution or cars or noise or whatever it is that they, it kind of feels like it has to be pushed out so I don't know I just think it's um something that we appreciate that benefit that we benefit from but we might need to 
put a little bit more care into making sure that we can have that as part of to keep that as an important part of our lives. Hmm. Yeah. And, and just to sort of follow up on that thought, I mean, the whole, you know, people are talking about care a lot more. Actually, you know, the, this practice of care and how can we bring care into society and actually make it more central in society. So really start focusing on, on care as a, as an important thing and, and to, to care for our environment and each other and, you know, and all these different mm. spaces to really plan it in. So yeah. I think that's, that's really not, I mean, there, there have been some good things come out of this pandemic too, you know, because we, we're seeing nature again. We're remembering what's important. You know, we're questioning how we spend our time in our lives. So, and what's important, like care, you know, so. Beautiful. I, I want to move us now a bit away from the content of your work and more for, uh, towards the uh, the way you engage with uh, other disciplines. Um, because I think one of the other topics that we are uh, busy here with it at, at the podcast, and also I've seen in your own uh, background, is that you don't shy away from working with other disciplines, uh, multidisciplinarity. And um, and I, I wonder uh, if you can share with me and our listeners what has been a case for you or a good case from your experience uh, in cross-disciplinarity in research and what type of disciplines were those that you think like that make a surprisingly good fit with anthropology? I, I have worked so much with other disciplines and with other mm. sectors that I – when I actually work only with anthropologists, I, it, it's just such a completely different experience. <laughs> I'm, I'm so used to working across all those areas. Um, for me, the natural fit is geography. Mm. Why is just, that? I don't know. I suppose human geography and anthropology have a lot of crossovers. Um, a lot of the theory seems to work really beautifully mm. across those two, those two areas. Uh, and I suppose with the cultural things, like just moving around to different, but also to different cultures, but also to different uses of space. Mm. And so I am so interested in cities or different parts of cities or even different heights of cities. And so geography with a spatial focus is really, um, fits very nicely with mm. anthropology. Um, and I think, you know, I think anthropology has that in terms of the experiential long-term research, mm. um, with that really strong focus on ethics of um, working with other people and uh, in different cultures, I think that really complements well. And I think uh, geography too is quite um, it's quite innovative, or I don't know, it's experimental. It's going in all these different directions. Which you know, human geography, uh, critical urban geography. It's a it's mm-hmm. a very interesting space. So that that for me would be the natural, easy fit. I often. Yeah tend to work in geography, but I've worked across many others as well. So my background was in, well, my PhD was based at the National Centre for Epidemiology and Population Health in Canberra, Australia at ANU. So there I was sort of working more with, um, you know, health sociologists as well as epidemiologists. Mm. So very different approaches again. I suppose the, the, the most challenging, but I seem to keep coming back to it, is working with engineers. Okay. Um, so I worked as a mentor to help sort of with cultural engagement uh, with engineers about borders in Australia, in Cambodia, um, and that was that was really interesting. So going out with the engineering students to help them understand how to perceive different cultures and and and, and how to apply their knowledge in mm. useful ways. That well, what make it uh, what made it challenging for you? 
I think they just have such a different way of looking at things, you know, and I, it's funny because even in the last project I worked with, mm. we're working across disciplines again, and so a lot of them were water engineers. And, and so I suppose they just they like doing tables or pictures and, you know, I don't know, there's a different methodology and a, maybe a more linear way of looking at things, whereas I've been taught to sort of go around in circles and, and to do it for a longer period of time maybe. You know, it's like an in, like living within, embedding within a culture. So it's it's a different, and also you know I like my theory. It's a it's a very different um, way, but it, it it does it does work, and I it's something that's very that's a very useful skill to develop is how to sort of communicate across those, yeah. those sectors. Yeah, yeah. I I find that for for me working with designers and um um and engineers has also been quite challenging. Um, also, and I think the the main challenge that um, uh, went away for me when I understood that that the object of interest that I had on projects were people, and there and I was speaking to my object of interest, which were people, and yeah. their object of interest was either the product or the flow, and, and people kind of helped them figure out how to optimize uh, that uh, flow, and and they were. And I was also expecting them when they were talking to me to put the same focus on people. They were expecting me. So it, it's interesting. It's so much about semiotics, uh, and, and, and kind of like, what are the, what are, what are you implying behind a certain, uh, line of communication? Completely. And, and you might exactly the same words. Yeah. Yeah. It means something completely different. And it's like, so what do you mean by this? And just mm. trying to, really get down to that sometimes yeah what what do you need for that for like a proper um yeah i don't know discussion around that like what what do you need to to make that mix happen i think it, it just takes time you mm-hmm. know it's it just takes a lot of time i i, I ran a, a workshop for the, the one of the projects i was on recently which is all across different cultures and i i did it too quickly you know I, I hadn't – people needed more time to talk to each other to because they were reaching out from such different backgrounds. This is not just from engineering. This is from a lot of different spaces. And, and you know, they really needed more time to sort of get to that common understanding, that, that basic, you know, um, place to begin that conversation so it could be mean, more meaningful. So otherwise it sort of misses the mark a little bit. So I think time. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, I love that you're mentioning time because I also, when I was working in um, applied anthropology um, as a kind of a consultant in the consulting space, your time is naturally always the only the thing that I negotiated the most. And it was more difficult to get more time uh, to do a project. So and when you are when I was an anthropologist next to a team of product owners or designers that also work with methodologies that are supposed to cram things or make effective things into short time spans like agile, for example, mm-hmm. that takes away the rest that you where you normally find expanded time. You know, I don't know what to say, like when I did projects with other anthropologists and you have a, a time pressure, but what you do with the time that you have sometimes creates more time. Yeah. You know, when you have like this, okay, this scheduled way, like now we're going to do this and then we're going to do that and it's all content and you become somehow a prisoner of the process that it's supposed to optimize you, mm-hmm. but then you you do not create time for the sense-making. You know what I mean? Which kind of, yeah. And maybe also having that time mm. for reflection. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's not just we've made that decision and that's it. It's like, no, no, let's actually go and see if that worked. And how did it work? What didn't work? What was included in that? What, what got left out? So re, I think having that reflection is really important as well. So looking, so time I think is really crucial. It's, it's such a basic thing, but yeah. Yeah. Where I find actually the, uh, as anthropologists and, and where I found, for example, other disciplines like that are very process driven and result driven struggle with anthropology is in the fact that we seem to find a lot of order in chaos mm. and we don't try to structure the chaos. Um, and, and I think what, what comes with all of these practices of working of companies, they really try to structure time and they really try to structure and, uh, reality. Um, and that, that makes the sense making process much more difficult. Whereas when you put a multidisciplinary team to figure out their own dynamics, then somehow there's some wisdom in that group that takes over and creates a structure that fits more the challenges, you know. I think, too, that we need it's about unpicking assumptions that we don't mm-hmm. even realize that we've, we're doing. You know, it's it's about pulling those things apart. So when someone says we're doing it this way, it's like, why are we doing it this way or why are you assuming that's the best approach or it's just. And you need time to think about that. Yeah, yeah. What, what isn't, what's, what's that nagging feeling that doesn't make sense to mm-hmm. me? Or what, or what is that underlying premise that's going through this conversation that we haven't actually questioned yet? Yeah. Yeah. We have to be critical, you know, of, of, of ourselves and, and how we're working across those things to sort of resource those disciplines or sectors to actually understand what are those assumptions mm. in those work in that work and and that takes a bit of time and patience yeah D- did you have like a surprisingly good fit with another discipline like i personally had worked at times in a project where i had to engage with uh, visual arts students mm-hmm. and i never expected uh, to have myself such a good fit in a project with uh, with an artist uh, in the way we've uh, and it was such a good fit that one of the deliverables of the project like part of my argument or our argument of the team was delivered in the form of a visual expression and a poem uh, which I found uh, looking back yeah, quite 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 interesting I did not expect uh, that to be such a good fit so uh, that was just my personal example and I wanted to check did you have like a surprising fit with another discipline that well, you didn't expect? I, well, I mean, I'm working with designers again now mm-hmm. with my, my, my new job and I'm enjoying that. Uh, and we, because we have different backgrounds and different ways of expressing ourselves, but it's often a very, it's the same thing, just with different terms and language. Um, but another one of my projects is on urban food mapping. And I'm really enjoying that because I'm working with designers and artists as well as people from different disciplines again mm-hmm. about how can we bring, you know, food people in the city together and, and actually trace those relationships in, in, in creative ways. So we're really trying to push these different approaches to mm-hmm. map food and place in cities. And um, look, it is challenging at times because, like, we're sort of we're talking and we're having some Fantastic meetings, but you know, but sometimes you realize that you're talking at different levels and you're not quite getting there. But then when you sort of get that beautiful, like, visual or that really gorgeous descriptor of, mm. of moving through space and, and what that represents and, and it, it, it does, it brings, I mean, I love working with artists and designers because it, you can, it brings anthropology in, you know, mm. so you can sort of, you know, and I'd love to have those skills myself. So it's really nice to um, to see people who can do that naturally and 
you know, within their discipline. It's beautiful. So, yeah, I really enjoy working with artists and designers, photographers, people who think creatively. Why do you think that's such a good match for anthropology? I think to be a good anthropologist, you need to think outside the box. You need to be constantly questioning yourself. You need to be trying to um, not pre not not assume certain things you're meant to have you have to have a very open mind and so you you have mm. it's almost you want to be creative in your approaches because you don't mm. want to be boxed in you want to be able to think differently and so i think artists help you do that mm. especially when you're working in sustainability because mm. we don't want to keep doing things the same way we want to change them so we have to have different perspectives we have to be creative we have to push beyond what we already know And so I, I, I really like it when I get, I love think I, I do love, I, I am an academic really. So I think I love my concepts and I love thinking about concepts and how they can be explored in new ways. Mm. For example, one of my new books coming out soon is on food, the senses and the city. So how are we using the senses to understand our relationship to place and to each other in different ways? And so that brings up how the senses are being used in different cultures. They're used in migration. They're used at hmm. like creating ways of new ways of being at home, new ways of like hmm. this one gorgeous chapter is about um, people from students in Australia who are both uh, there's one Bengali student and one. Oh, I'm getting a bit more mixed up now. But basically, there are two different for, forms of Bengali, Bengali, but from different countries, hmm. so, and. They're talking about similar recipes but with different names, and it's how they talk to each other through the, through the sense making of cooking similar foods at home in their share house. I don't know. It's just all these beautiful ways of relating each other that go beyond text and beyond a, a linear approach to think creatively and reflexively and all these different things. So I think that's really nice. <laughs> yeah. Me too. I, I love it. Like the the phenomenology, you know, accessing the phenomenology of being in the world, uh, and kind of opens more doors of potentiality into new futures, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but then you can go there faster and in different, not only faster, but you can go to surprising outcomes uh, rather than just relying on the co cognitive process of sense, sense making or meaning making in 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 different ways, yeah. And then you definitely. Mm. And then what you're also talking about there is accessibility. Mm. That's one of the things I really think by working with artists and and more in other creative areas. It's like you you're making this work accessible to a broader yeah. audience. It's, yeah. it's it's and it's more engaging. You know, if you can read mm. a beautiful story that really conjures up emotions or pictures or whatever that transports you to understand and, something. Yeah. And it's also more fluid and co-creative in some ways because you are creating your meanings. It's a bit like uh, like art, right? Like you make, you 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 see something and you make it your own. And and sometimes with a with a text, it's 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 more difficult to make it your own if it's someone else's. And there's a fluidity in art that written text um, doesn't have, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I I wanted to take us um, into my uh, also almost my last question. Um, you're you're living um, um, a life of kind of like this a mix of academia and applied, which I find um, I'm very envious of. I think <laughs> <laughs> I I want to do that and I try to do that myself um, to to kind of walk that that line between academia and the applied world because I love both, but I do not love to be just in one. 
Uh, so I, I, I wondered how do you do it and how can you be, um, how can you be part of both worlds and, and how do you, uh, yeah, how do you do that? Requires a lot of moving around. <laughs> so I suppose, um, I have, you know, I have moved from, I have had two to three year jobs. I mean, the positions have all been sort of in the last, Six to ten years, they've all been quite short. They're all project-based work, which means I get to move from one to the next and and I'm exploring different spaces in each of those. Um, and I suppose because they are quite short-term, I've tried to build as many networks and new experiences and collaborations as I can in between those and during. So a lot of – I mean, I've actually got – two books coming out now and they're all the results of all these other collaborations I've had whilst I'm doing other projects. And so it's constantly this overlapping building of projects and, and collaborations. And so some of them could be quite practical um, and trying to, so, you know, so one of the things I ran was um, I co-hosted a session at Poland, which is the political economy ecology network last year. We, had, we went online with COVID actually this year on, with COVID Um and that was looking at the politics, an urban political ecology analysis of uh, nature-based solution projects, like in the European uh, Horizon 2020 kind of stuff. So that was really interesting. So that was looking at bringing people together who had a practice on the ground that way. And then, yeah, I don't know. I've just sort of been moving around and, and bringing people together around different projects as much as I can to – and then – trying to extend and, and value add on these projects. And so we sort of start them in one place, we bring new people in, and then we develop into something else. And so it's been this – I've got like about seven trajectories going on at the same time. Saying that, um, of different projects are all happening and they all sort of work off each other. But just to finish that too, so my most recent job, I've only just moved to Norway and I'm working at the Department of Design um, at NTNU. So now I'm in the sustainability for design group and that's fantastic because they've sort of welcomed me in as an anthropologist with a, who has worked in design, has a affinity for sustainable design. But it's also really cool because it blends anthropology and sustainable design together in such a nice way because anthropology is more that sort of grounded research understanding where you're coming from, whereas design is more about interventions and what can we do to create change. So by working this field, I've, I've kind of got everything I want in that bundle. I've got, I'm still doing that research, but I'm applying that research to different ex experiences. And now I've got all these students literally this week and, um, who are sort of going to carry out different aspects of, of, of um, topics that I sort of helped put together and, and explore them in more local. Oh, I don't know. It's just, it's very exciting. There's just so many different directions and, um, I don't know if I quite answered your question, but it's, it's, yeah. yeah I, well, I think, I think part of it is it, it happens with how, how do you welcome the, the mad rush that comes with trying to inhabit these two worlds and, and feeling comfortable in it. So what I get from your answer is that you also take it as a kind of a, of a, a, a um, you, you, you like it, like the energy, the adrenaline, the, the navigation of these, uh, these things thing is I'm welcoming them all I'm like yeah bring it on like let's just try and do this and this project yeah 
And, you know, for me, the challenge is when I have to sit at the, at the table to write an article, I need two weeks to just calm my mind, which, which, which I don't have. And then I get very anxious. And I said, well, why am I trying to do both? Because I require parts of myself that cannot really exist together in myself easily. You know, that, that depth, razor sharp focus on, on thinking into concepts and just putting that into a, a nice um, narrative um, uh, of an art, academic article, which I love. You know, the purity of academic thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. And the fact that you're, you're chasing for that fundamental, um, concept, like you, and you try to weave. I, I love it. I find it as beautiful as art. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. but what it requires of my mind is a, a form of stillness and focus that I completely uh, lose when I go into applied projects or applied work, where it's the complete opposite. You have to multitask, you have to see it all, you have to bask in the adrenaline and the speed and the creation and switching from one to another, uh, for me, it's, it's very difficult. And I, I completely understand, completely understand. I suppose what I've been trying to do, I don't know how, if it's going to work yet, but it seems to be going fairly well. I've negotiated that in the mornings I do my thinking and my writing and my reading. And so not to be disturbed, quiet time. And the afternoon when I've got a bit more, I can, you know, I'm not as focused. So it's better time for me to sort of be chatting and to have those conversations, do supervision. I'll do them all in the afternoons. So I'm really trying extremely hard to hold on to this routine that I can try and keep those two worlds happening because your mind needs a break as well. So for me, the break is the conversations and those meetings, Um, whereas the morning is that really quiet, creative, let my mind think quietly without any distractions. That is beautiful. Yeah, I, um, so, you know, it, it's, that's, that's the thing, right? When you're in love with two opposite things, you, <laughs> you, you have to uh, find your practices that will enable you to navigate them. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking still for that kind of blended middle when you know if it's even, yeah, although, you know, the, what I love about both is the extreme. So if you like the extreme, um, it's very difficult to create a middle. So, but, um, but you know what's actually, again, it seems to be working. It's, I'm still mm-hmm. just started here, but, um, so what, what, here in Norway, there seems to be a 12 o'clock lunch that happens with the staff. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's important, definitely as a new staff member, just to sort of attend those lunches to get to know people and have that, those chats, you know, just little chat, informal chats. Unfortunately, with COVID, we, we can't even do that, but I have been doing that up until now. And, yeah. um, up until recently. So that has been lovely because that's my, that's my switch. That's my switch moment. Yeah. Yeah. I go up there and I have my lunch. I have a a nice chat and Mm. then I go into the other type of work, the more applied work, the more, you know. That's nice. Like a liminal, like a liminal space. It's a liminal space and it seems to be working Mm. well. Nice. Um, Nice. Well, Fern, um, I think we are almost at the end of our, of our time together. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you before we close it off, because I know we have a lot of students, um, or, 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 um, 
not just students, but are people interested in kind of navigating from one world to another, moving from academia to applied or um, and listening to us. So I wanted to ask you if you can think of some some form of advice for them, like how do you um, manage that leap? How do you even know to do the leap that it, it's, it would be something that you would like? I mean, one of the things actually in terms of trying to navigate those two worlds between the applied and it's so I, I try when I'm on I'm thinking in a certain way. I try to follow that flow as much as possible rather than shifting, you know, like chopping and changing. Mm. So um, so when a student has got something they're really interested in, follow it, follow it through, let their passion drive them as much as they can and and be open to new opportunities. And so, and I suppose take those extra steps. And so for me, when I realized, oh, I could just be organizing panels at conferences, no, If I organize panels of conferences, that means I'm putting together international collaborations of people on similar topics. Oh, that means I can put together a book. And, oh, that means I can now write an international grant. And so it's just going from those steps and just keep going up and up and up and realizing that you have got that ability through that passion and everything and being open. So it's not I'm not just learning about anthropology anymore I'm learning about geography I'm learning about ecology I'm learning about design and and I'm doing that in different contexts and so you know I'm moving literally moving around the world with my interests um so I suppose just trying to follow that as much as they can be open to that and and know that you can build on those skills and keep going it's good nothing to add to this it's just perfect a little gem of wisdom (laughs) thank you oh thank you it was really fun Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.